I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network of Podcasts. Pierre Lebrun, as you and I are chatting here, uh, we're going to have Adam Fox, Norris Trophy winner, is going to join us later in the show. Uh, I'm pleased to report that uh, Hurricane Elsa has apparently been less than anticipated. And so as far as we can tell at this stage, all things go for Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final in Tampa this evening. How are you doing? How, how are things? Uh, how are things in your end? I want to. I want to. I want to get your your vibe. I want to know how you're doing. My vibe is I want to get to the end of the month so I can disappear. <laughs> 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 it's been a long stretch with one season going into the other, and uh, I worked right through it as did you, and as did a lot of people. But uh, yeah, that's all. I'm, I feel like I'm a little on fumes right now. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, I. Uh, I. I. I I feel your I feel your pain, my friend, and uh, we are going to get to some uh, off season stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about Stanley Cup Final, which of course could be finished in matter of hours. Uh, but I, I'm going to start with you know it's just it, it's so incredibly sad, Pierre, to to have followed the story of Matisse Kivleniak's, uh mm. netminder for the Columbus Blue Jackets in the Blue Jackets organization and uh, his tragic death uh, in a fireworks uh, malfunction um, mishap at the home of Manny Legacy, longtime goaltender and goaltending coach um, for the Blue Jackets. And uh, I, I just, it's it's just so sad. And I guess it, what has struck me in the, the couple of days since um, Matisse's death was announced is that just, you know, sort of the ripple effect and it, it, we talk about it and maybe it's a cliche that, you know, the hockey family and all those kinds of things. But to me, this has reinforced that, that it is a young man from Latvia and 
you know, trying to make sure that his family is connected and taken care of, but all, you know, teammates and former coaches and managers, uh, a couple of whom I've spoken to, it's just, they've been absolutely shattered by this. And I, I just saw the sort of spontaneous response from the Columbus Blue Jackets fans uh, gathering mm-hmm. at a, a, a bar that you and I've been to a number of times, the R bar right near the arena. And again, spontaneous, uh, you know, s- sort of gathering to, to honor the young man. And it's just, it's sad, and I, I honestly I don't know what else to say. It's just so so sad. Yeah, and and what are my thoughts after getting over the initial you know sense of loss and tragedy is is that I hope that the Blue Jackets players and staff you know all get the counseling that perhaps they may or may not need or, or comfort each other and and make sure that they you know don't don't just park these emotions but you know. Um, have have an outlet to, to deal with it because, um, you know, uh, this is something a lot of those players would have never faced before and, and it would really hit home. And, um, yeah, you just feel for, you know, his family, but also for the Blue Jackets family and, and how they're, you know, dealing with this right now. No question about it. Yeah, uh, I know it just as we were starting to tape this, uh, the Blue Jackets announced that <clears throat> uh, I believe it's John Davidson, the uh, president of the team and uh, Yarmol Kekalain and GM will meet with the media later this afternoon. So, um, you know, obviously I think I'm, I'm with you. I think it's important to, to you know, to have discussions and talk to people and, and, and work through this. And anyway, <clears throat> I know Aaron Port's line for us is just, you know, done such an outstanding job of really putting this in perspective since it began. And, and the Blue Jackets will be adding further information presumably later today. So stay, stay uh, up to date on that. Um, all right. Hey, there's no easy transition from something like that, but, but we will transition nonetheless. And, um, I, I was, I was thinking about a lot of the discussion going into game five in Tampa this evening, of course, dramatic, uh, victory for Montreal in overtime. Uh, I, honestly, at the, the moments when Shea Weber went to the penalty box for the double minor at the end of regulation, I, and all I could think of was how, how terrible is just going to be for Shea Weber and the Montreal Canadiens if this is how it ends. Because, I, I, honestly, I, I could not see how the Habs could actually kill off four minutes against that Tampa power play. And yet they managed to do it, and Josh Anderson scores on a on a great play, he and Cole Caulfield. And, and we are going to Game 5. I wonder what you... I mean, you followed the Habs so closely this year. You, what, was your, what was your emotion like as you sort of saw this series extended by at least one game? Well, I don't know that I had any emotion. <laughs> well, no, I'm not, I, only I have, don't mean that I only have emotion for the Dallas Cowboys, my friend. <laughs> no, I, didn't, but, I don't uh, mean that you were cheering for them, yeah, but you've, you no, followed. You no, know what's I, at stake. I'll, I'll tell you my exact thought. I turned to my wife and uh, as Shea Weber took that four-minute penalty, which really put the Habs season on the line, and I said, they're going to kill it. They're going to kill it because I don't know how many captains in the NHL are more beloved and respected by uh, his teammates than Shea Weber is. And then by the Montreal Canadiens. And that's exactly, I mean, that was the PK of their lives against the best power play in the world. And in fact, on that night, Tampa somehow went over five, not from a lack of chances oh I mean, between Carey <laughs> Price's heroics and a few uh, timely goalposts. It's not like Tampa didn't have looks, but kill that four minutes the Habs did. And after that, you kind of had to know how it had to end. And, and good for Montreal and good for the narrative because. 
you know, their run to the cup final is, is legit. It's, it's inspiring. It's, it's, I think brings the sports, the sport to its best in terms of players working together as a team. And, uh, you know, that, that's why hockey's hockey. I mean, this Habs run has been sensational and to have ended in a, s- a sweep, I think would have taken away from it to some degree. And, and by extending it to five and you say, Oh, well, what's the difference between four and five? If Tampa wins Wednesday night, there is a difference Yes, because people remember a sweep. I still remember Washington, in many ways, a similar Cinderella run in 98 gets swept by Detroit. And you kind of look back and think less of it, to be honest. But now that Montreal has won a game against this juggernaut lightning team, I think it does matter. And I think it was a wonderful moment at the Bell Center. Josh Anderson with a big night and uh, the fans partying outside since they can't be inside most of them. But I think that was, a you know, maybe as I tweeted that night, Perhaps one last dip into the magic bottle for for this Habs team that had, had so many good answers during during this playoff. <laughs> well, I, I I do like the idea that the Tampa Mayor did wish for a uh, Montreal <laughs> victory so they could win at home. And I I got to tell you, there's part of me that's sort of wishing that the series just keeps going on just to <clears throat> just to tighten the uh, tighten the strings just a little bit. But well, uh, she the Tampa Mayor's going to have to go and witness protection if Montreal wins Game Five tonight. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, it made me think, and you and I have been around a long time, uh, which, which it goes without saying, but but it is amazing how few or how few times or how rarely, is probably the better way to put it, that the home team actually wins the Stanley Cup on home ice. And I don't, I, mm-hmm. I don't know why they're, I don't know why it's like that. But of course, the last time it happened, you and I were both there, 2015 in Chicago. A, is that really the last time? Yeah, really, wow. Yeah. See, yeah, I'm not making this stuff up, my friend. A- a- against the lightning. Yeah. Against the lightning. Exactly. And you know what I remember? And I remember about that night, terrible, terrible rainstorm, like flash Storm, summer. Right. Uh, thunderstorms and floodings on uh, on all those surface streets leading up to the United Center, and you know you know what the result was of the flooding. It de- delayed the arrival of the Stanley Cup at the United yeah. Center. And yes, I always felt bad, and you know when you, when you talk to Phil Pritchard, who's the the head of the Hall of Fame and, and the, the the king of the keeper of the cup. There, uh, there are not the head of the Hall of Fame itself, well, but yes, the well, keeper he's of the curator, cup. Yes. I believe is his, yeah. his title. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a head title it's an overarching title he's he's the face yeah. of the hall of fame how about man uh and uh, poor phil had you know because the part of the deal is you don't bring the cup to the building until late. well it used to be the deal right so so you got to finish the story here I mean, one of the ramifications first of all you know the stanley cup was delayed because of that storm they didn't get to the rink on time and so the Hawks just kept, I mean, they didn't care. They just kept celebrating and hugging each other <laughs> while the proceedings were delayed. I, I don't remember by how much. We'd have to Google it in yeah, real time it was, here. But it was a little while. At least 10, 15 minutes, I think, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I remember running into Commissioner Gary Bettman after the proceedings in the hallways of uh, of the United Center, and he looked like as angry as I've ever seen him. <laughs> and... I said, how about that, uh, you know, I made kind of a crack about the cup being late. And, and I got to be careful. I don't really want to, you know, because yeah, it was said in God. It was just you know, a casual, not, yeah. casual conversation. But 
the gist of it was that uh, that was never going to happen again under his watch. So, so what's happened since then, uh, of course, is that the cup is in the building all day long under watch, right? Yeah. So, so that'll never be delayed again. Yeah, that was a good memory by you. I told you, I, I was going to say my memory of that night was because we walk around the ice after we're allowed on the ice during the celebration and the media, sorry. And you go from, you know, one little grouping to another and just try, try to do your interviews with the Blackhawks players on the ice. And I remember walking by um, Brandon Saad, who was tremendous in that final and, and embracing Stan Bowman, the Hawks GM, and kind of overhearing, you know, your, your typical GM player conversation at moment. You know, we, we, we could have never done this without you. I think Stan Bowman said to Brandon Saad, Two weeks later, Brandon Saw's in Columbus. <laughs> yeah. And and again, it wasn't it was just because after every cup the Blackhawks have to do the salary cap gymnastics and uh and so Brandon Saw traded uh, uh just a couple of weeks later, literally from that very emotional moment on the ice where you're winning a cup. So it's always that's the reality of it. And and by the way. Imagine if Tampa wins tonight or if they win this series at some point. I mean, what's that? You know, how quickly that core, well, not core, but right. parts of this team are going to have to move on in, in, in mid Stanley Cup party, right? Yeah. I mean, the Lightning have 14 players on their contract for $85 million. That's not going to work. So it, uh, the cap gymnastics are going to come in a hurry here in the next couple of weeks for Tampa. Yeah, well, and, and actually, you know what I've liked about this this lead up and I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because John Cooper is, uh, he's just, he's so self-possessed and he's so, you know, he's self-aware and he's not, he's not afraid to, you know, to have those, you know, kind of, it's not an uncomfortable conversation. It's, it's real. And I thought he's done a nice job of sort of alluding to, you know, this group understands just what you said, that this is, this is, uh, you know, this doesn't last forever. It's a, it's remarkable what they've done in you know, basically 14 months or less than that, but what, you know, from the, the bubble cup win in Edmonton to on the verge of winning back-to-back cups with basically the same roster, um, that it's a remarkable achievement, but it's also one that everyone who understands even the least little bit of the business of this game, and especially in this time with the flat cap, it, it, the reality is that you're right. I mean, how many players... What's the conservative estimate of the regular group that takes the ice tonight? And I know Alex Kalorn's not going to play tonight, but let's throw him in that mix. Is it four or five or six players who may not be back almost all entirely mm-hmm. because of economics? Which, which is how it happened all the time with the, each Chicago Cup exactly. in particular. They, yeah. they seem to have to do it more than, than some of the other teams. But, yeah, and, and you know, you know, Goudreau and Coleman, two-thirds of that remarkable third line for Tampa, two great playoff seasons, that third line with, with Yanni Gord. They're both UFA, Goudreau and Coleman, and, and they were not making a lot of money. It's time for them to cash in to some degree, right? Right. Uh, especially Blake Coleman. So, I don't know how they can both stay, maybe one of them. It's hard to tell at this point. You know, Tyler Johnson, we've always linked him to Seattle because he's from Spokane and, and you know, he can't. It really makes no sense now for Tampa to have a fourth line $5 million player. But of course, easier said than done. I mean, Tyler Johnson cleared waivers twice last offseason as Tampa was trying to juggle, right? Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see, as we speculated for almost a year, what the price will be 
for Tampa if it wishes to go down this route. I mean, they could obviously make deals with other teams. It doesn't have to be Seattle. But if they decide to try and park Tyler Johnson in Seattle, if it's a first-round pick, if it's a top prospect, if it's both, I mean, what's the price to get Seattle to play ball on that? So, so many interesting stories coming, but um, Cup Finals not over yet. Yeah, well, that's true. I know, and I, I'm not being presumptuous because, and I know, <laughs> I think back to the first round of the playoffs, which only seems eight years ago. Do you remember you and I having the conversation? Basically, we'd already anointed Toronto the first round win because I'm sure we taped when they were up. I three. don't think I did. I, think I don't you think did, I did. I, I, I am I, very cognizant of being uh, of being a national uh, of being a TV slash media figure in both Toronto and Montreal. I am very careful not to annoy. Okay, maybe I'm misremembering then. Maybe it's just me. I'm I'm transporting it. But anyway, yes, you know, it's a good point. And here's the great thing about about Tampa. We talk about Julian Breezebaugh and, and of course, you know, a lot. There's still a lot of Steve Eiserman's fingerprints all over this organization. But I look at that team and, and whether it's, you know, and I'm sure that Ron Francis in Seattle is looking at the same thing. But, I mean, there just seems to be no end of okay so we're you know okay let's assume you know blake coleman is is going to go somewhere else barkley goodrow as ufas I, you know the kid that i i thought was so interesting came up uh, at various points near the end of the regular season there's alex barre boulet uh ross colton i think has done a nice job when he's been pressed into the service and in, in these playoffs are real mm-hmm. you know can fit in that you know, in your bottom nine anywhere. Like there's, Tampa has just done such a nice job that to me, even though they're going to miss whether, you know, Tyler Johnson's not coming back. So they're going to miss those players. But this team still, it seems poised to me to be right in the mix. I don't see them. I just, I don't care who goes. I I still see this team as, oh yeah, the the Lightning are going to be right there. Right. Well, I mean, they've got the best goalie in the world and Andre Vasilevsky, arguably the, the best defenseman in the world and Victor Hedman, although we have the actual Norris Trophy winner, Adam Fox, on our show later today. Yes, we uh, do. Later in the podcast, yeah. Um, I don't know why I said later today, literally in a few minutes. Um, and, uh, and you know, arguably top three or four, five forward in the world and Nikita Kucherov, do you agree? I mean, yes. he's oh, yeah. our trophy winner and... So those guys aren't going anywhere. Those three. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know the difference is that that they they have to move forward without the same depth. But much like the 2010, 2013, and twenty fifteen Blackhawks, or at least leading into fourteen fifteen, the Blackhawks kept playing around and finding moving some of the deck chairs around and and took other runs at it. I think Tampa can. I think a three-peat's probably unlikely, although we'll have fun talking about that all of next season, depending on what their roster looks like. But the idea that they that they might be able to contend again the next couple of years, given, again, the goalie, the D, and the forward, I, I think they absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll talk about some non-playoff stuff, some you know coaching hires and things going on. We got the expansion draft now looming even larger in our in our windows. Uh, but I want to ask you, we were talking about uh, it, how rare it is to see a team win a Stanley Cup on home ice. We mentioned the 15 Blackhawks doing it at home. The year before, LA wins at home 
mm-hmm. in uh, in fourteen. Alec Martinez. Alec Martinez. There really haven't been many though, right? Like you and I covered the O six uh, cup win in Game Seven in. Uh, well, LA, in- well, LA won both their cups at home, twelve and fourteen. So we were there for both of those. That's yeah. right. Yes, I've, and yeah. yes, they they after going up three nothing, the Devils somehow punished us by making us fly back and forth across country twice. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, true. Kings get to to celebrate twice at home. Carolina did in 06, Anaheim in 07 as well. Do you have, is there a moment, or is there one of those that you're like, oh, I'm so glad I was there to see that market and those fans celebrate that moment? Yeah, I think Chicago in 15, you know, because it was the third cup in six years and um, they hadn't been able to do it at home yet. And just, and and to be honest, even that night in that moment, I don't know that we truly thought they could that they could massage the cap again enough to they could you know it felt to me like they had maximized their window in that moment. I remember thinking that, and what a wonderful thing for Hawks fans to to be able to live that night, despite the weather, though, mind you. That's true. Uh, I like I, I I thought that Carolina win. Coming the first win out of the lockout, uh, a really interesting final series against you know a team that sort of two teams that come out of came out of nowhere out of the lockout with uh, Carolina and Edmonton, and boy, it would be a long dry stretch for the Oilers after that. And uh, I like that one, and and the fans rewarded in Carolina. Um, you know, after it was sort of you know people like to make fun of the Carolina organization and the fans. So I, I was pleased to see them. I, I will say, and this is not a criticism at all. I think every market has their own way of, of celebrating and do, but I, I, it hit me when I left the rink in rally that night, that the streets were very quiet, Yeah, that there was really nothing going on around the rink and, and uh, you know, on how different that would be in other markets after winning the cup. But I would also tell you that I think that would be different if they won the cup again here soon. Oh yeah. That I think that that fan base has grown by leaps and bounds since then. And that if they got the chance, and they certainly have a chance the way they built that team up, I think I think it would be a different scene on the night of perhaps winning a cup at home there yeah. than it was in 06. Yep, no question. I'd, we might even have to make a reservation at uh, Bates Battaglia's Bar, the Lucky Bees, where we uh, <laughs> celebrated before Game 7 back in the day. One of the epic writer uh, events leading up to a Stanley Cup. So, And there have been a few. So, yeah, <laughs> no comment. No comment. That'll save that for the book. For the book. Uh, all right. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that book only gets published after I die. <laughs> It'll be like the it was it anyway. It's always the is it the Warren Commission after the anyway. It's, yeah, we won't. Go. Anyway, so I enjoyed your piece earlier this week. You talked to both Kevin Adams, GM of the Buffalo Sabers, and Bill Armstrong, uh, GM of the Arizona Coyotes. The Coyotes hiring Andre Tourigny. Am I saying that right? Have I got the right? André Tourigny. Tourigny. Of course, well-known in uh, major junior and international circles for his work with uh, in the Canadian um, programs. And I I wonder what you, you know, were you surprised when you, and of course, we already talked about it uh, last week when um, Don Granato was confirmed as head coach in Buffalo. But I thought it was interesting you talked to two GMs who are are trying to revive franchises that have had all kinds of, issues and i wonder mm-hmm. you know what were the takeaways for you and maybe you know sort of reason for optimism for one or both or what what was your takeaway yeah yeah you know i was happy with the way that story came off because i i the more i thought about i mean part of it was last weekend you know canada day and uh, last week I, I took a few days and i was thinking when i come back i'd like to 
make sure we don't just pass over the fact that Buffalo and Arizona made those coaching hires because I think there's a national angle to it. And, and, and to me, there's so many overlaps between the Coyotes and Sabres. Unfortunately, for a lot of negative reasons because of what's happened over the past decade plus. Um, but, but also positive reasons in that I think they both have, you know, first time GMs who are trying to think outside the box here and, and, you know, um, made coaching hires that, that some people, you know, weren't that impressed with or, or at least are saying, let's see. And that's okay. It's, it's okay not always to do what you think people want, you know, the, the sexy hire. Um, because that's often worked out. And I, one of the examples I pointed out in my column with, you know, with, with Arizona and Andre Turigi, you know, not a very heralded uh, hire at this point of his career. Although I always thought the way Turigi was tracking, he would be a head coach one day in the NHL. It just came quicker than I thought because, A, you know, um, he had a pretty good gig at Hockey Canada. If, if people listening aren't aware, like his, he had left uh, the OHL for this season and for, sorry, for next season as well, so that he would be uh, the assistant coach at this past men's world, then the assistant coach for the Olympic team in Beijing and the head coach for another world juniors, uh, and then head coach for the men's worlds uh, next May. I mean, th- those are a lot of key high profile events that were part of his hockey Canada gig. And he's willing to, you know, to leave that behind, obviously, for an NHL head coach opportunity. That's why I was surprised. Not that he would be a head coach one day, but that the timing of it. But the example that I like for Arizona is Jared Bednar. You know, when Colorado replaced Patrick Wild with Jared Bednar, let's just be completely honest, guy. It, <laughs> you know, it didn't, it didn't blow you over at the time, right? It, it's sort of like, uh, okay, so they promoted Jared Bednar. Let's see how this goes. And then, of course, the Avalanche are terrible. They lost place in the league. and But the idea, I think, was that Bednar would grow with what the Avalanche had decided to do in their reset there, right? Their rebuild. And it has worked. You know, I mean, I think that Bednar has grown with this young Avalanche team. And I think that's what Arizona is trying to do with Andre Turingi here. Yeah, the Coyotes are going to have to reset this thing. They are going to get worse before they get better. They're, they're going to get younger. Uh, they're going to trade away some pieces and and there's going to be some pain. So the idea, I think, is that this coach will have the patience and the teaching capability to get through these rough waters and come out of it on the other end with this team as it looks differently in a few years. That's the the notion here with Arizona. And I think there's some similar, you know, from talking to Kevin Adams, same type of patience and teaching that he sees in Don Granato being able to work with a, not only a young Sabres roster now, but it might even get younger by the end of this offseason with some trades that are coming. So real, I think, overlaps between what the Sabres and Coyotes are, are attempting to do here. Well, and you and I have talked about this a lot, and it, I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I just went, I was looking it up, and, and people forget about Jared Bednar and, and the Avs because they're such a dynamic team now. 22 and 56. In his first mm-hmm. year. And, and, and like they were. And, and the point being that he didn't lose his, you know, well, he kept his composure through that. Exactly. And his presence around young players. And so it's that job's not for anyone. 
you know <laughs> well you and you have well here's the thing and you and i talk about this and it, and it's not in it's something that's in short supply really i mean you a you, you talk about the patience it, it to me it's it's more than patience it's it's the vision and the vision has to be consistent from ownership to management to coaching to the locker room and every single person has to be in lockstep uh, on on what that vision is and, and if and if people aren't then you have to peel them to the side but you and i both know that you know I mean, we're talking about vision and patience that costs a lot of money right it costs money to right. be in the nhl and not make the playoffs year after year it just does and so you know i I hope ownership in Buffalo and Arizona have that kind of, you know, the not just the patience, but but that they sign on for the vision and that they're willing to let, you know, good people do their jobs, even if it takes a period of time that that causes them, you know, ongoing pain. And it, it doesn't happen all the time. It's just that people get in, people get impatient and they get tired of losing money and they say, well, how come, you know, how come Florida's doing okay? Let's 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 throw this out and do something else. Well, you do that and you're in the same boat for the next five years anyway. So that's my right. And, and I thought, you know, Kevin Adams comments very passionate about what's happening here. And, you know, he specifically mentioned guys like Dylan cousins and, and, and Darlene and, and Casey Metalstad as a young core that he's going to build around the point being it's who he didn't mention. That's the story. Right. Um, and, and that's okay because that's where this is headed. And, and I, you know, I, I, re- I went and read some of the comments underneath my, my column. And it was interesting that because I, I have to think this is so hard for Sabres fans who are one of the great fan bases of, of the league Agreed. to have to go through this yet again. And yet a lot of the Sabres fans who commented underneath my story were like, as painful as it is, this is what has to happen. Like, got to move on from Michael and probably Reinhardt and, and rejig this thing again, but do it right. And there's no guarantees, of course. You could be back in the spot in three, four years, but but I don't know what other options there is. I mean, that culture has to be changed again. Got to have guys who want to be there. And, um, you know, this, this is the way to go about it. Yeah, good point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And as promised, joined by Adam Fox, Norris Trophy winner, the New York Rangers. Adam, thanks for dropping by. And listen, you know, I know the Norris is a, that's a nice thing. I'm sure it was nice when you won it. I have a bit, I have a more important question to ask you off the hop. And as you know, you and I spoke earlier in the season and your defense partner and roommate, Ryan Lindgren, 
you guys live together. You've got a great system going on. And you also have an indoor putting green in your place. And I want to know at the end of the season, who was, who was the king of the, of the putting, who was the putting champion at the end of the season? To me, that's, that is foremost in my mind. Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say it depends who you ask. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was a very streaky game. I think I went on some runs and then he went on some runs. So uh, depends who you ask. I'll give myself the nod, but I'm sure he would, he would say differently. <laughs> well, it, now, uh, when did you? I'm I'm curious about what his response was when you actually won the Norris. That must have been, you know, as I mentioned, you guys not only live together but are partners on the ice. That must have been nice for you guys to share that kind of that kind of honor. What was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I think we both were just like we couldn't believe it. I mean, we thought it was crazy. Obviously, you know, we've known each other since uh, we were 16 and. I don't think either of us would have expected to be in the positions we're in at that time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously I thanked him. I, I, you know, I don't think I win this without, you know, playing with him, you know, most of the season and, uh, you know, he's a great player and obviously, you know, one of my best friends. So it was definitely a nice moment to share with him. Have you had a chance to look at the names on the Norris trophy, Adam, and, and from over the years and, and the realization that you're part of that very, very elite club now? Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at look at the names and uh, some of the players that, you know, my name is associated with now. It's crazy to think about, I think. Uh, I'm not always, you know, thinking about it. I think sometimes you could just brush it off like, oh, I won. And then sometimes you actually think about it and it's it's crazy. Well, so I'm curious. Pierre and I have done uh, award ceremonies in, in Vegas and, you know, in a normal year, we know what that would look like and now this is two years in a row where it's not normal walk us through like where did you were you at home were you where were you physically when you got the word and and walk us through what that moment is like for you yeah so i was leaving a workout and uh you know got a call that that i had won and uh you know i was able to to tell my family and uh you know and that kept it on the down low and uh you know, obviously then had the presentation with, with, you know, Brian Leach and that was pretty awesome, you know, being a, a Ranger legend and, and, you know, just being, being able to have him present, it was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, finding, finding out I won was, was definitely surreal and, uh, you know, being able to give my family the news, you know, myself was obviously a cool moment for me too. You know, Adam, you've entered the league and, and look like you belong uh, from the moment you got on the ice and, I think it's interesting over the years, the debate that different players at your level have about how many college seasons they want to get under their belt before they make the jump. But like for you, what went through your mind as you decided to, you know, to play, uh, you know, three years of college hockey, some players just do one, some players do two. Obviously, given your success here, you must feel like you, you nailed the path. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously a lot of it, you know, is opportunity and, you know, obviously you need a little bit of luck, but yeah, I think I just wanted to be able to, you know, be a really impact player, you know, especially at the college level first before making that jump. And, you know, after my junior year, I feel like I, uh, I did that. And, uh, you know, you never know what to expect when you, when you make that jump, you know, you hear different things and, uh, you know, you see different players who, who, uh, you know, go different ways, but, uh, I think for me, yeah, I think I just wanted to be, you know, as ready as possible and feel as confident as I could. And 
and know that I was ready to make the jump. And, you know, obviously when that time came, uh, I made that decision and, uh, yeah, it worked out. I'm curious. I mean, you mentioned Brian Leach and I thought the NHL did a great job with sort of setting it up with, with, you know, important people presenting the awards. I thought it was great that Leon Dreisaitl twice got to, uh, give awards to, uh, Connor McDavid and, and press him on, on how important his line mates were, his teammates were, which was, which was kind of fun. I'm, you you talked to Brian Leach obviously with that with the presentation part, but do you, I'm wondering if you heard from people that you know surprised you. I don't know whether you know youth coaches or teammates or were did you hear from people after winning the Norris that you were like, oh wow, that was that was really cool. I, I'm really glad they reached out or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know my dad was always asking me you know throughout the the week you know who's the who's the least expected text you got and, and, you know, who did or didn't text you. And, uh, you know, I must've got, you know, 300 plus texts or calls and, and it was a lot to sort through, but yeah, I mean, there is a lot of people to, to thank, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a long journey to, to get to this point and youth coaches, you know, skill coaches, skating coaches, everyone in between is, is, uh, you know, to thank. And, you know, obviously when they reach out, you kind of, you thank them for their help, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's awesome when you could have, you know, reconnect with people who, who maybe you haven't spoken to in a few years and, and, you know, just be able to talk to them after a while. You know, what you haven't been able to do yet is play playoff hockey in the NHL. And of course you're only a couple of years into your career, but I'm wondering, you know, over the years, I, I know some players watch it really attentively, even if they're not part of it. Others just can't bear it because they're so jealous. They're not part of it. But where do you fall in terms of paying attention to, to how the playoffs have played out here? And, and again, trying to glean, how different it is, right? It just feels like a different animal every year when the, when the playoffs uh, come on. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, I think I grew up a hockey fan and, you know, I, I love watching hockey. So I think I, I like watching, but yeah, there's always that, you know, bittersweetness when you see another team celebrating, you know, winning a round or even, you know, eventually winning the Stanley Cup. And obviously a little bit of jealousy sets in, but, you know, you are watching and, and seeing the intensity. And I think the, the bubble that we had was a, a little bit of a, you know, mm-hmm. test to it and, uh, you know, kind of an experience for a little bit of, of playoff hockey. Obviously, it's a different intensity and, you know, you, you can't really prep for it till you're there. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I enjoy watching it and, you know, obviously trying to see little things of, you know, when that time comes of, uh, you know, how guys play and, and the little differences between that and the regular season. I mean, it's uh, it has been a uh, an off season with lots of stuff going on around the Rangers, uh, various levels, uh, and uh, we've had Gerard Gallon on uh, on our podcast back in the back in the day. And I wonder if you had some conversation with the new head coach of the New York Rangers, and and maybe what your vibe or your your first impressions are of Gerard and and what it means to a team that I think will go into next season with you know, extremely high expectations as it relates to being a playoff team. Yeah, obviously, I think I've heard nothing but but good things about him. I heard, you know, players really like him and, uh, you know, he'll go to bat for players, which I think, you know, everyone loves. And I haven't spoken to him too much. He reached out to to congratulate me. But obviously, you hear positive things about him. And, uh, you know, he's dealt with teams similar to ours in, in the past. And, and, you know, definitely just excited to get going. And, you know, I know he's a great coach. I think we're all we're all excited to get going here. I think you're going to love playing for him. I can tell you that. Uh, and by the way, good catch by you. I was thinking when I think playoffs, I think the 16 teams, but you guys did have that play in series in the bubble, which 
feels like 17 years ago to me, but yeah, that was last summer. So, so technically I think you're down for three playoff games so <laughs> yeah, far. In your career, everything right? gets, yeah. gets lumped together over the past year <laughs> and a half, but yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk Olympics. Um, you know, uh, the NHL hasn't completed a deal yet with the IOC, so who knows what's going to happen, although we should find out in the next couple of weeks. But if NHL players are invited to participate for the Beijing Olympics, uh, no doubt your name is going to be in that conversation for Team USA. What would that be like for you if uh, if you get selected? Yeah, I think that would that would be a special moment for me. Obviously, that's kind of the the pinnacle of representing your country and for USA hockey, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play at various, you know, events for them, whether it be world juniors or world championships. And, you know, even was at the NTDP for two years there. So, uh, you know, whenever you, you represent your country, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, if, if you're able to play at that, at that level of it, it's, you know, the top of top of top tier for it. So, you know, hopefully NHL players are able to go, obviously that would be awesome for, for a lot of guys, but Obviously, we'll see. But yeah, if you know, are able to to play in that, it would be special for me for sure. And I'm I'm curious. Does does it come up in conversation? Like, just you know, whether you're working out in the off season, or does it come up? I, mean, I look at that Ranger lineup, and you know, there might be seven or eight guys that that, that could be on their various national teams if the NHL is going to Beijing in in 2022. Does it ever come up? And I I wonder what's it what's it like when it does come up in conversation. Honestly, I don't think it's really been talked about too much. I think, you know, during the season, I don't think guys were really focusing too much on that. But I mean, I think everyone would would love to have the opportunity to to, you know, whether go for for themselves or see NHL players in it. I think it's obviously nice when when it's, you know, the top guys there. And uh, but, yeah, not too much conversation about it. Honestly, I don't think uh, you know guys have really discussed it too much. You know, Adam, uh, I think what sets players at your level apart is, and I've seen this over the years, I remember Sidney Crosby early in his career talking about different things he needed to work on after he just won a major major award, never happy with his game. What what would you say you'd like to work on with your game, even after winning a Norris Trophy, but that you'd like to to work at? Yeah, I think for me, it's, I mean, kind of been the same thing since I was, you know, 16, 18, I think. I've always been able to think the game pretty well, but it's always that physical attributes. Uh, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, work on my skating and, you know, work on my shot strength. I think all that just, you know, the way I play could help me become, you know, an even better player. I think, you know, if I'm able to add some strength and, uh, you know, be a little stronger on guys and, and you know, work on my shot, maybe, uh, you know, get, get a few, uh, you know, a few more goals and, and finish a little better. I think, you know, stuff like that could definitely help me, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, we'll ask you one more, Adam, and let you go, but it's, it's sort of a nice segue. I mean, you were talking about, you know, sort of thinking in the game and I was reading a, a piece by Molly Walker, the post, and I understand you've got some, some other chores in this off season to, to take care of. And uh, it sounds like you go, you're a couple of degrees short from your psychology degree at Harvard. What, what's left and, and why is it important that, that you take care of that? What's, what, why? I think of a lot of people who said, well, you won the Norris, take the summer off, you know, <laughs> put your feet up and play some <laughs> golf. But it sounds like you, this is something that's really important to you. Yeah, I think, yeah, so I got two more classes and then, uh, you know, I'll get my degree and, and, and graduate. But I think for me, I think, you know, ever since I, I was a kid, going to Harvard was was kind of the, the main focus for me. And, uh, you know, graduating there, I think it's it's more just honestly fulfilling and, 
you know, something that I, I wanted to do from the start when I got there. And, you know, obviously it's, it's an accomplishment and, and no one could, you know, take that degree away from you. So yeah, I only got two more classes and, you know, it'll definitely be nice to, to finish up. I, I joke around and tell people I'm a Harvard dropout instead of, you know, left, left to sign. So uh, I finally say I'm a graduate at some point. Well, I, I wonder if there will be a temptation to uh, maybe on a cover sheet uh, of, of whatever assignments you're putting in that you could put the press release from the North. So I'm just saying, I don't know whether that helps in the marking, but you might uh, want to consider I don't know at Harvard too much. <laughs> I. You know what? I, I think I think it's a good calling card, though. I feel like when you email your buddies, there should be like a signature thing at the end of your email that says Har- Harvard grad Norris Trophy yeah. winner. I feel yeah, like that, that's that, a, that's pretty strong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know if that'll that'll probably catch me a few uh, a few jabs if I if I signed off emails or texts with that to them. So uh, I might just keep it keep it with Adam at the end. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good way to go. But it, it's been great to catch up, Adam, and, and really pleased for you, obviously, on, on of course, the Norris, but also finishing up the degree. That's uh, quite an accomplishment. And uh, I hope you enjoy your off season. And I hope uh, we up here and I often say this at the end of, uh, of our conversations with people. I, I hope that we're crossing paths in real arenas sooner than later. But uh, thanks for coming and hanging out, hanging out with us today. It's been great. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, always a pleasure to talk and yeah, definitely. Hopefully we'll see each other in an arena soon enough. Good stuff. All right. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Adam. Adam. Enjoy your off season. Thank you. All right, my friend. And I, I thought Adam, he's a very polite young man. He did not call you right away when you uh, erased his three game <laughs> playoff experience in the playoff round against Carolina last summer. But, but I'm with but, you. But though. I, I, part, I don't really. But, but, but I think part of it is he probably doesn't feel like he's played real playoff right. hockey yet. If you if you listen to what he said, he's saying he kind of got a feel for it in that little like he kind of referred to it as like the preamble to the playoffs. Yeah. And that's how I feel about it. Like, I think, you know, I, I, I think that you got to be in the 16 to be considered a playoff team. And that's how I look back at that bubble bubble event last summer. But, you know, you may feel differently. Yeah, no, it's uh, – I must admit, I don't think of the playoff play-in round as <clears> – anyway, I, I don't I don't consider it a playoff. So, I, I'm with you. I, I In fact, when you said it, I was like, yeah, you're right. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what, he's, uh, you know, so well-spoken and, uh, you know, I mean, the guy's going to have a Harvard degree. But – I think that he is going to be in that very elite group of guys that have played this game that will never be satisfied with, with what they've accomplished, that that want to find yet another level. And and that's why those players are so special. That's why they, they end up having the consistency and piling up awards and being different than other guys who sometimes may have those seasons and then disappear. They're two different type of guys at that level, and I think Adam Fox is going to be in that very elite yeah. level. I, I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens between now and the start of training camp because it, you know we were talking about Kevin Adams and Bill Armstrong earlier, and the work ahead of them. You think of Chris Drury, who became the GM after a tumultuous end of the regular season and the, the changes at the upper level of that organization and all of the talent and all of the moving parts now for this Ranger team. And it's like the I, I, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I think the pressure is going to be enormous for this team to, you know, and whether it's adding a guy like Philip Deneau or a Blake Coleman, uh, that kind of, t- you know, toughness and skill to help the already, you know, top end 
skill on that team. Whatever changes, mm. a lot of pressure on Chris Drury to make the right moves so that this team takes another step forward. And, you know, Adam, obviously Adam Fox is a huge part of that. But, man, there's so much to like about that team, but they're not quite there yet. And they play in, man, that division is so tough when the Metro gets back to together. I, it, I think it's going to be a fascinating offseason for the Rangers. Well, Gerald Gallant's track record. Yes. He will maximize what he has on that roster. That, that, that is his track record. Yes. Good point. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, my friend, here we go. We've got some questions coming in. Ask the Dorks. We missed it last week because we had such a jam-packed show, so it's good to get back to uh, um, to some of this. Uh, let's start with Yannick Larondo. You know, like, like I, I now say all the French names with a French accent. <laughs> Are you with me? No, I'm not with you. Okay. Um, all right. No matter this, uh, uh, a Montreal fan, no matter what happens in this final, what do you think Mark Bergerman should be focusing on this summer to be even more competitive next season without touching the core too much? And, uh, you know, you got the Seattle expansion draft factored in there, too. What do you, when you look at this Hab lineup, there's, you know, like every other lineup, there's going to be some changes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, to me, the Philip Deneau situation, him being a pending UFA, looms large. I mean, he, he's proven yet again that even with a reduced role in the sense of offensively, with Suzuki really now clearly the number one center offensively, and, and Kakanyemi through his ups and his downs with, with a bigger role moving forward, that, that Deneau still as a shutdown center is such a big part of this team winning. Do they circle back to each other and try to make a deal work? We know that was a, you know, according to reports, a contract, you know, rejected back in the fall. That's number one for me. And then I was talking to a, a front office uh, executive from another team. He was talking about the Canadians and how he really liked how they, you know, put things together in this playoff run. But he feels that clearly either, whether it's through the development, continued development of Romanov, 
but or going out and finding another reliable defender that they 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 can't rely that much year round on on three defensemen essentially i would argue four but he said three at, at the top end of that blue line especially with you know shea weber who's been tremendous in these playoffs but getting on in age um he feels that that he if he were mark bergeron he would go out and try and find another top four blue liner just to to further you know deepen that that group I'm just curious. You and I have talked a lot about Philip Deneau and, of course, a huge goal the other night in Game 4. Uh, just it, it, let me. Uh, you and I have talked about how difficult it's going to be to, I don't know, handicap's not the right word, but as a, as a UFA, he really is in sort of a, his own little space get, because his, his skill set is so unique. Do you think the playoffs have really, have, have they changed it dramatically in terms of teams that might say, you know what, I, I can live with you know, maybe not all that much offensive production because I, I I want that player on the ice in critical moments next season. It, it, has the playoffs changed that much for Philip Deneau, do you think? It's so hard to say. You know, I wrote about that uh, last week and, and got varying opinions. I don't know if you saw that, Scotty, but yes. like I had some front office people putting him at four to four and a half million, which I thought was way too low. And then I had another one point out that his numbers the last five years are almost identical to Jordan Stahl, who's a $6 million player. And, you know, I think he's at least a $5 million player, if not north of $5 million because, yeah, he doesn't score a lot anymore, but he, he shuts down every top score in the league. I mean, there's got to be some value to that, even in today's game where, where everyone is two-way and not necessarily the old shutdown centers of the past right the geek carbonos of the world and so on but i i i don't know what else he has to prove i mean he's that intelligent a player and has that much of an impact defensively yeah uh, i got a couple related questions here this will be uh, good and actually a good segue after talking to adam fox of the new york rangers this is from mark miyoto miyoto uh with reports that jack eichel is looking to opt for surgery is it time for the new york rangers he says to put up or shut up when it comes to acquiring him. But uh, maybe we just say, you know, is it time the Rangers, you know, they covet a franchise center or would Jack Eichel fit that role pending what they do with their existing roster mm-hmm. moving forward? I mean, they, they, you know, you still got to factor in, you know, what your what your plan is for Mika Zibanejad moving forward, who has one more year left on his deal. But it, I, let me synthesize it. You're like a, you like Jack Eichel as a fit for the Rangers? I know they've been connected at various points for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as sexy as when David Quinn was still the head coach. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, the number one center is still the, the, the unicorn for the Rangers. I just don't know. Like, I think if you're Buffalo, you're trading him west if you can. You know? Um, now, maybe that at the end of the day, the best deal is not west. You know, whether it's... Anaheim or LA or Calgary. I mean, I mean, I think there are teams that, that could make sense. Minnesota has shown interest in Eichel, but at the end of the day, if the Rangers step forward, and I, I do think the Rangers have again showed interest. I don't know that they've been among the more aggressive teams. Hard to say, but I think the tie will always go to the team out west. Don't you? I mean, I mean, like why have them in your crosshairs for the next? You know, different division. I get, but still, same still, conference. 
close for comfort. Yeah. And actually, that's a good segue because John, at John Sink, uh, 604 uh, he wonders, Vegas, could they take a healthy run at Jack Eichel? And, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, that was a disappointing playoff series against Montreal. The Habs doing such a great job at, uh, at neutralizing, you know, what should have been a you know much more dangerous Vegas offensive group and and i think it did highlight a team that that probably needs to address its center depth um but boy jack eichel's big that's a that's a big ad there would be lots for kelly mccrimmon to do um in order to accommodate jack but i think it's a fair question as well and it and it goes to your point on if kevin adams can move jack eichel as far away from buffalo he's going to do it Yes, I, I, I think that's a given. And it's also a given Jack Heichel will never play a game with the Sabres again, I think, in my mind. I, you, know, you and I, well, I may be the only person. Okay, maybe it happens. I just keep thinking to myself, listen, if, if Kevin Adams doesn't get a deal he likes, he's got a great young coach, Don Granato. Couldn't Jack Heichel live with that? But anyway, no one, no one, I am the only person who I've talked to or heard who says well you know he doesn't have to trade him he's under contract for five more years anyway no yeah, one but a year from now going. about a year from now on july 1st um less than a year from now my goodness his full no move kicks in yes so suddenly jack eichel has all the leverage in the world if there's a there there's a trade scenario i, I think you have yeah. to do it now yeah okay anyway i just say yeah okay uh, you know me i you know, sometimes i'm Sometimes I'm a contrarian. And sometimes I'm just wrong. Often. Oh, well. Often. No, contrary. <laughs> right. Not the wrong part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's take uh, one more. How about from Matthew Jex at MJex19? I thought this is, this is a good one to close out on. In hindsight, is there a recent player, let's say since the 0405 lockout, that didn't win the Consmite Trophy that you feel really should have there's probably no one that comes to mind for you but anyway get you oh Go my goodness I've, I've had so many rants on this over the years that i feel like i should have turned the page but how can i not answer how could i not answer no chris pronger was robbed of the con smythe in 2006 i mean ridiculous to be quite honest um so uh, Edmonton went to seven. Chris Pronger played 74 minutes a night during that uh, cup run for the Oilers. Carolina, full value for being cup champions, but but Cam Ward, who was terrific, didn't even play every game, right, in that in that playoff? But he played very well when he did play. He did. No, and, and this isn't about taking away from Cam Ward's performance. The, the point is no one was more valuable to his team in those playoffs than Chris Pronger, Period. Uh, so that's my answer. Okay. Uh, who else? That and I. I mean, really, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. I, I, I knew that that would, that would come up, and that's a good one. I, you know, one, one. It's funny we were talking about uh, 2015, and I'll go back to 2013. Oh, I, I know, know you're going to go there because uh, our, our yeah. caller, our, our colleague in Chicago, Mark Lazarus, is still beside himself that. But that you know, we to voted me, that's Patrick the- Kane over Corey Crawford, and 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 I get his point, and and you know, one of the things is we, we've we've gotten to cover so many Stanley Cup Finals as as you know, and we're so fortunate for that. Is that the beat writers only get the Cup Finals when their team makes it, and and I think right. what happens is when you go to the Cup Final every year, the reality is the goalie 
in some ways should win the consmite every year period i mean how can you win a cup without your goalie being great yep and so yep. i had developed my own thing over the years where for the goalie to win the consmite it has to be extra special every goalie is great when you win the cup but how much more special and so and that's my own personal definition it doesn't have to be everyone else but and, and i gotta say i'm you know i am one of the voters for the consmite again this year and Andre Vasilevsky has given me a lot to think about because I think he is that extra special, right? I mean, he's been unbelievable. So I, I, I got to be careful. I don't want to give away my ballot before I vote and, and we'll see what happens tonight. But certainly to me, the debate between Kucherov and Vasilevsky is really close for me. I yeah. voted Patrick Kane that year. I think you did as well. He had so many huge yeah. goals in the final two rounds for the, for the Hawks. But there's no question that I will accept the Corey Crawford argument there. I think if yeah, Corey Crawford no, had won good. that year, he would have been full value. Well, and here's the other thing that sometimes people, you know, and basketball is different, I think. <clears throat> and sometimes people, it, it's, I don't know whether recency bias is correct, but people think, oh, well, who was the best player in the final series? It, it's a four-round trophy. It, That's remember, why it's such a I great trophy. It's, it's, it is it's a great trophy. eight, nine weeks and, of, of hockey. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, go, going back to th- 2013, if my memory serves, like Duncan Keith was really, really good at, you know, some points. And then, you know, same with Jonathan Taze. But I, I, and I remember the argument very closely, but Patrick Kane was consistently delivering the goods. And I, and I thought it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I defended Just it Just like well. Duncan Keith was a no-brainer in 2015. I mean, oh my God. I, I remember yeah, thinking like, nope. this is one of the easiest cons my votes I've ever had. Like, <laughs> I was going to so say dominant. that exact same thing. Yeah. Yes. No. Oh, completely. Uh, all right, and and the only I'll tell you the one that I, I certainly wasn't upset about it, but I I you know to me it was so close in 2018 of getting Kuznetsov and Alex Ovechkin. Yeah, Remember really close. Some GMs. Yeah, really close and really you know it, it was it's it's fun when you have those debates because it's not you're not it's not I don't think in general there's a wrong answer to what this you know. I, even with Cam Ward ahead of Chris Pronger. In general, you're talking about degrees of excellence at the greatest time of the season um, for players. You know, it's not, you're not taking a player who gets knocked out in the conference final or the semifinal. So there are teams who are right there at the end. So it's, it's a great another exercise. Good one, uh, yeah, another good one was, uh, and again, no wrong answer, but the other, there have been a couple of close ones. One was Justin Williams and Drew Doughty in 2014. Yes. A lot, a lot of us were going back and forth. I ended up going Justin Williams because he was so clutch. But had Doughty won, I'd been, yeah, of course. Um, the other one was Crosby against Phil Kessel. Remember, that was a, that was a debate. I don't can't remember if that was 16 or 17. It wasn't as much a debate for me as it was for others. I know some people felt Phil Kessel should have actually won. No. I, I, Sidney Crosby's contributions on those back-to-back Penguins teams at both ends of the ice are, it's just, don't overthink it. Give the MVP yeah. of the guy who was the MVP. Yeah. All right. Now, that was good work today, my friend. Uh, what else we got here? We got Judd Brackett, the director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota Wild, joins Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source. Interesting times coming up around the NHL, of course, the expansion draft and the real draft a couple of days after that in, I look at my calendar, it's like two and a half weeks. Unbelievable. Uh, Mark Lazarus uh, from The Athletic Chicago joins Ian Mendez and Haley Selvian on The Athletic Show Monday at The Athletic. Uh, what else we got here? We know that The Athletic Show expands to five days a week. Uh, everyone knows that. Of course, the new show Friday, The Prospect Series with Max Boltman and Corey Pronman. 
and you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the athletic app and rate and subscribe to the athletic hockey show on apple if you aren't already a subscriber go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month my friend can't wait to talk to you next week may adjust the schedule i got a little travel next week so the schedule may be a little bit off but don't worry we'll be back with another episode next week yes we'll be airing next thursday instead of Wednesday. We can tell her. We can tell her, listeners. Yeah. We like to keep them on their toes. But uh, anyway, fine work by you. Great to have Adam Fox on. And, buddy, have a great, great week. Right on, right on.